Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast, Paul's 50 years of sporting memories. In this podcast I will talk about my favourite sporting memories over the past 50 years with my good friend Glenn. He covers a wide range of sports and the triumphs and heartaches along the way. In each episode we will go back in time to talk about my memories from a particular year. This is Paul Tonner. Welcome to this episode of Paul's 50 Years of Sporting Memories. I hope you're well and have had a great sporting week. How's your sporting week been, Glenn? Oh, not too bad. Yeah? Yeah, just cruising along. Oh, we've got a, a good mate of ours here with us today. Yeah. Mr. John Dawson. Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you. Welcome along, John. Yeah. Yeah. What have you been up to? Oh, mate, uh, just uh, head down, bum up. Yeah. yeah work, working, the, working the job. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, um, thanks for uh, bringing us along, and I'll see if I can make some uh, good contributions for the yeah. afternoon. Yeah, well, you're, um, do you mind if I ask how old you are? <laughs> I've got a rough idea. Uh, you don't look your age, I know that. I was uh, born on the 6th of 6, 1967, so I'm 54 this year. And you don't look it. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to talk about the uh, episode 1975 today. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you'll have because uh, I remember hardly anything because <laughs> I was only four. So well, you'll yeah. have a better idea. Yeah, yeah, I can I can kind of remember a little bit about cricket, um, mm. a bit about uh, uh, the racing and stuff like that back then. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll see what I can do, yeah, car racing and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. um, that's always been an interest of mine, so yeah, we'll see what we can come up with. All right, good stuff. Yeah, I forgot to mention on the last episode um, that I have a new Facebook page. Uh, yeah, it's called Paul's 50 Years of Sporting Heroes. And I've got something going on at the moment, 50 sports stars in 50 days. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, we've, we've been going... Uh, for each year from 1971, yeah. a different sports star for each year. Oh, yeah. So 1971, who do we have? Yvonne Gulligan Corley. Yeah. 72 was Shane Gould. Oh, yeah. 73, I'd have to have a look. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been John Newcomb, I think. Uh, Sounds about right. Yeah, 74. Ooh, who did I have? I know 75. <laughs> hey, Libby, pass us the phone. <laughs> well, today was 1980, so we had Alan Jones, yeah. Formula One driver. What he won the world championship that year. Yep, yep. That was, yeah. that was a fantastic uh, time, that was, yeah. That's right. 1979 was uh, Greg Chappell and 78. Ooh. Who did we have? Was Greg Chappell, was that, the, was that the famous year he did the underarm bowling? Yeah, year? 77 I had Dennis Lilly, I remember. Uh, yeah. No, the underarm was 1981. Oh, there you go. 1st of February, 1981 it was. Wow. I'll never forget the day I was at Lawson Swimming Pool when it happened. <laughs> uh, no, actually, we're there, and then we went to, Dad dropped, dropped me at church with my sister. And then he picked us up afterwards because he wanted to go home and watch a cricket. We had to go to the church. And then he picked us up and he was telling us about, oh, it's underarm. Yeah. So, uh, 
It's very, very controversial. Oh, We're still very. talking about today. That's how controversial it is. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know, like Beyond Borg. I think I had him in there at uh, seventy-six. I think mm -hmm. memory. Yeah, the great Beyond Borg, the ice cool Swede. But yeah, if you check that Facebook page, I'm putting up a different sports star for every year. Yeah. So I'll be nineteen eighty-one tomorrow. Oh, yeah. And I'll give it away now. It's Ian Botham. Because <laughs> the mongrel destroyed us in the ashes that year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so the Magic Round's been happening in the, the Rugby League this weekend. All the games being played at Suncorp. Yeah. The Broncos got lapped last night by Manly, 50 to 6. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we've got a whole heap of games on again there today. There's a lot of games of footy. Like, I wonder what that surface is going to be like at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. They'll probably have to rip it up and rip oh. it. Yeah, they keep it in good condition, though. Yeah. Because they had the uh, Australian Conference Rugby Final there last week. Yeah. And it pulled up well after that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, you know, I remember those days when the Sydney Cricket Ground was the only <laughs> big stadium in Sydney. Yeah. And it used to get used for cricket, soccer, rugby league, yeah. Aussie rules, yeah. rugby union. Yeah. And it just, oh man, it was like a mud heap. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I remember one day, you know, because these were the days at the end of the game, you're allowed to go onto the field at yeah. the end of the match. Yeah in a rugby league match and oh gosh it was like a like a bomb bomb zone you know yeah. war zone yeah but uh yeah so what's been happening with the afl glenn yeah well the what we spoke of what was selected last episode they're still they're actually playing this afternoon so there's no results mm talk about until the next episode yeah but uh the next round which will be next weekend so what yeah um richmond versus gws i'll go for richmond yeah, yeah. richmond aren't having, aren't having the best year are they uh -huh. you know like i know there's fair way to go they could still you yeah. know come home strong yeah win another premiership yeah. port, port Adelaide versus the the bulldogs i'll go for port Adelaide because yeah. they, they can pull the rabbit out of a hat those guys they can seem to come from nowhere to to win in the game right uh melbourne versus carlton so yeah i'll go for carlton well, really? You're going for a big upset? Yeah. I was going to say, Melbourne would be pretty good this year. Yeah, they've been undefeated. Yeah. Oh, that's a big upset. Oh, uh, well, they're, yeah, they're, uh, they've got them. Traditional rivals, yeah. 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 yeah, very much so. Yeah, okay. they're just trying to even it out a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, West Coast versus Adelaide. Okay. Yeah, I might go West Coast. It's a tough yeah. one. Like yeah, West Coast, yeah, they're yeah. hard to beat at home, aren't they? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go West Coast with that one. Yeah, so with the NRL tips to complete the Magic Round, um, so Cronulla and South Sydney. Ooh, well, Cronulla, 
I've been going pretty ordinary, so definitely South Sydney there. Yeah, although South Scott vlogged last week. I think they got a few players back this week, so yeah, they'll, they'll be too strong there. Sydney Roosters and North Queensland. Yeah, Roosters to win there. Uh, Melbourne, Storm and St George Illawarra. Go to the Storm. Yeah, they'll be too strong. <laughs> yeah, they're just a class outfit, aren't they? They certainly yeah. are. Yeah. And Gold Coast at first, Penrith. Yeah, well, Penrith will be too strong there. Yeah. Although the Titans have had a few uh, leaky doos out of the mm. ship, so you never know, mate. Yeah, Penrith are undefeated and got a hot young side, and Gold Coast, they're just so up and down, they're up and down like a yo-yo. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I'll, if, I was, if I was to uh, put a thing on that, I'd go Titans. Ooh, big upset. Well, you know, playing on neutral turf, so you never know. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they have sprung some upsets in that Magic Round Gold Coast over the years. Yeah, and they've got, uh, they've got a few of the, um, uh, I was watching the news the other day, not that I fire NRL up here, they've got a weird football up here. But, mm. um, <laughs> some from West Australia originally. But, um, yeah, no, uh, apparently they've got a couple of guys back into the side this week, I, I believe. So. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so today we're going to go way back <laughs> to the year 1975. Yeah. I was only four years old. Now, Glenn, we'll start with you. What are your memories of the year 1975? Yeah, well, you know, around that time, up until 78, until I moved to the country, until we moved to the country, my father was big in speedboat racing, mainly skiffs. So I remember going out most weekends out to a, a club meeting or a championship at St George or Silverwater, mm -hmm. watching the... Um, They'd race his speedboats and, and always I had a, um, a passenger rider called Bob Walker, which we may get to talk to one day. Okay. Because unfortunately, yeah, there, there's dementia and mm. can't remember much. But he's, he's still got the speedboats that he set the records in. Because he also, when he started with speedboats, and for many years he worked with another guy called Ernie Nunn, it was big in Australian speedboat racing, so Dad took on some of his boats and still has the collection there, which yeah. I'll share the pictures of his boats on the Facebook page. Okay. Yeah, yeah, 75 going out to, um, to watch Dad's speedboat racing, also um, Stan Bailers in the Australian sidecar state championships he won it that year yeah, out at Amaru Park. Right, that's yeah. uh, out near Campbelltown in Sydney? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah, no, I've been, I have fond memories of Amaru Park because mm. even through club days out there with the sidecars, there was a lot of characters that would get around. They, they even had a little mini bike race yeah. around the track. Which is really, mm. um, really fun to watch. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, um, any memories I have of 1975, they aren't many, as I said, but I can rem remember going to preschool 
<laughs> get me in trouble for things all the time. So no. nothing's changed in there? Hey? <laughs> nothing's changed in there, boy. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was whisper-hoven back then, too. Uh, yeah, and visiting my grandparents in Sydney. And, uh, and what I associate the year 1975 with is the eastern suburbs roosters. Well, that's what they'll call them. They call the Sydney roosters now. Uh, thrashing St George in the Rugby League Grand Final, 38 to nil. And the great Graham Langland's white Adidas boots. <laughs> and there was the uh, Thriller and Manila fight between the great Muhammad Ali and Joel Frazier. Yeah, I've got the book here. I've brought it along, a great big, one of my Muhammad Ali books from home. Yeah, right. And it's got a whole heap of photos from all of his bouts and yeah. Was that the year that they came out with a song about Stings Like a Butterfly? And, uh, was it Stings Like a Butterfly? Yeah, Flats Like a Butterfly, yeah. Stings Like a Bee. Yeah. No, we were saying that early on in his career. Right. Uh, that was before the Liston fight. That was back in the 60s and he'd be going, I'm going to float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Rumble, young man, rumble. Ah! He used to say that with his trainer. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, in the lead up to that fight, he'd be, because um, he used to sledge Joe Fraser all the time. Yeah, sure Joe Fraser. Yeah, well he'd be, he'd be saying, because he used to call um, Joe Fraser leading up to that fight a, a gorilla. Uh, yeah, and you know, yeah, Fraser didn't like that name, you know. Uh, yeah. And in the, in the fight before, because they fought three times, so the first fight was, uh, I think it was about 1970. Uh, so the, you know, Ali wasn't allowed to fight for about three years, because remember, remember he didn't go to Vietnam War. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, so this was labelled the fight of the century in 1970 and uh, Fraser put Ali on his on his backside yeah, and Fraser won that was the first fight that Ali lost first professional fight and then they fought again uh, three years later yeah. and Ali beat him um, pretty easily oh, yeah. yeah but they just had this well it was mainly Fraser had this just real hatred of him yeah. you know because Ali would call him all these names but the thing is, like Ali never meant it. It was all done to, promote you know, the yeah, fight exactly, the, promote yeah. the fight. Yeah. Yeah. And but Fraser used to take it to heart. So in that lead up to that second fight, you know, Ali'd be calling him, calling him an Uncle Sam because he was associated with all these white businessmen and. Um, and Uncle Tom, I think it was. Yeah, Uncle Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uncle Tom on that. Which no, uh, no uh, self-respecting black fella back in the... That's right. Like to be called. Yeah. yeah, but in the lead up to the fight in, in uh, the Philippines, in Manila, yeah, he'd call him a gorilla, and he'd be saying all the time, it'll be a killer and a thriller and a chiller when I get the gorilla in Manila. Yeah. And when he went to uh, the Philippines to prepare for the fight, he'd go to all the press conferences holding this little gorilla in his hand, toy gorilla, and he'd be punching it. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I'm gonna do. Hey, gorilla, it's gonna be a thriller. Uh -huh. <laughs> as, only, as, as only Ali, uh, Muhammad Ali could. Yeah. yeah. He was a master at the manipulation of the media. That's right. Yeah. But the year before in the Rumble in the Jungle, like when he fought George Foreman, 
Ali was given no chance, right? Foreman was just, you know, they'd never ever think, thought he'd ever get beaten, you know, he was, yeah. he was so strong. Um. And, uh, and Ali went into that fight and he just, you know, he moved away from where all the, because Ali used to love being around people, you know, but in that fight, like he got away from the crowd and he really was able to prepare for it and he was focused. And, but with this fight, in uh, like Frazier was given no chance, you know, he was yeah. a real underdog. And uh, yeah, Fraser nearly beat him. But the thing was, Ali had all these disruptions leading up to it yeah. because instead of, um, you know, you go to the Manila and it's just surrounded with people. So he's around people all the time and he had all these distractions and yeah, like he was, uh, uh, what was his name? Ferdinand Marcos, the president? Uh, yeah. yeah, at the time he, there was all this political unrest going on in the Philippines. So he wanted this fight to sort of, you know, legitimise his government. Yeah, and to to get rid of all the attention going on, you know. Um, yeah. So what what happened was uh, Ali, uh, Marcos invited Ali and his wife to a dinner. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Ali, like his wife, Ali's wife's back in. Uh, America. Yeah. His wife's a Muslim, so she's you know really strict Muslim, and yeah, and Ali's there taking this uh, Veronica Porsche to this dinner <laughs> near Marcus's place, and then uh, his wife sees it back in America, and she just goes ballistic, and she gets on the next plane and she flies out to Manila, and he's there in this hotel, and she's just punching into him and ripping into him and yeah so he had all these distractions going on Ali and it was just uh oh, it was the worst conditions to fight like it was over it was about 109 degrees Fahrenheit um what, 42? oh yeah and Ali said it was the closest he's ever come to death and yeah got to the final round and Ali was telling his, his coach, uh, Dundee, to cut his gloves. He couldn't go any further. And, uh, and at the same time, uh, Joe Fraser's coach, his trainer, said, no, he threw in the towel because Fraser had so much swelling around his eyes that he couldn't see anymore, you know? So, um, yeah, if it wasn't for that, yeah. So would it, been, would it have been a draw or...? Um... Um, yeah, no, well, Ali won because, yeah, Fraser's coach threw on the towel. Just, he was worried about his, you know, the condition that he was in. Yeah. But both of them, like, I remember Ali saying, oh, gosh, all I want to do is sleep for a week. <laughs> yeah, and he was going to retire after that fight because it just took so much out of him. But uh, yeah, he ended up going and you just think if he did retire then, maybe, you know, he wouldn't have, it's hard to say really, whether he would have come down with all the Parkinson's and, yeah. But, uh, oh, it's just a brutal fight. But they gained a lot of respect for each other, which was good. So, uh, 
So, um, yeah, another thing I remember is the uh, Jeff Thompson. Well, I don't remember this, but I've, I've watched a lot of docos on it. Jeff Thompson and Dennis Lilly destroying England and the West Indies. And the first ever Cricket World Cup was held. Yeah, 1975. I do remember. Yeah. I do remember. Sitting there at my, uh, at my um, grandmother's place. Oh, okay. With my Uncle Don and all that stuff over in WA. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. Mm. Yeah. I think we've just got a first class TV. Oh, did you? Oh, that's right. They came out then, didn't they? Yeah. It was 1975. Yeah, my, my nana had the, one of the first car TVs at the... Yeah. Her son's right. in the box. Mm. When, the, when the super townhouse, because my father was doing work there, when they got their supply of coloured TVs, they, they gave one to Dad. So we were... The first one in the street to get to have a colour TV. Yeah. Because he just came from um, yeah, the Super Town House. Mm. Wow. Gee. Yeah. Well, what, what I remember is, and I think it might have been, it would have been around 1975, like it was Christmas Day, and everyone, you know, all my brothers and sisters, dad's calling out, right, everyone, come down here, come over here and have a look. And there was this great big cardboard box and uh, he opened it up, you know, and we didn't know what it was. Oh, it's a colour TV! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, I remember, I remember that as it was, mm. uh, yeah, that was a huge time. Yeah. Uh, and we had, uh, my, my nana and I, uh, our family got the same TV, and I remember it well because they were Thorn AWAs. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, they were yeah. and they were on a, uh, it had a, a cross base on it with a chrome metal pole as they did back then. Yeah. And it was classed as a portable because it had two handles, a handle on either side of the top of the, of the TV. And uh, yeah, but they weren't, weren't very portable to try and, try and lift it. You needed a small chrome. But <laughs> yeah, 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 really heavy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, portable AWA thorns, yeah. Because we, we had the TV downstairs in the rumpus room and to about, and the black and white TV was built, well not built into the cabinet, but it had its own spot. Yeah, yeah. Like, in the cabinet, so we had the lift out, the old black and white. Yeah, yeah. And then lift in this colour and it just fit even with the handles, we managed to get it up there and just roll it back one inch at a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're up to our next segment now. This week's Who Am I? Okay, now this week, Olivia's here today. Olivia's back. We, yeah. She's going to do the Who Am I today because her dad keeps stuffing it up. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Here we are. Oh, he's dead. Yep. Take the seat. Yeah. Yeah, me. Okay. Who am I? I think this is a question, isn't it? Yep. Okay. So the answer will be revealed at the end. Why is it a computer voice? Well, we just had a computer animated voice oh. to introduce it. There. We're going high tech. Ooh. All right, off you go. I was born in 1943. I am a former professional tennis player. I won three 
Grand Slam single titles and became the first black player selected in the United States Davis Cup team. Uh -huh. I am the only black man to have won the Wimbledon, US Open and Australian Open single titles. I retired in 1980 and peaked at summer at number two in 1976 at the ATP rankings. Unfortunately, I contracted HIV during a heart bypass surgery in 1983, and in 1992, I began to educate others about HIV and AIDS. Sadly, I passed away on in February 1993 from AIDS. All right, very good, darling. Yeah. Oh, hang on, we've got a bit more there. Okay. AIDS-related pneumonia at the age of 49. U.S. Mm. President at the time, Bill Clinton, awarded me with the Presidential Medal of Freedom after my death. Wonderful job. Well done. So, my name is, and we'll reveal it at the end of the show. It's the guy I'm thinking of. He was a beautiful, beautiful man. Yeah. In real life. Yeah, very inspiring. Yeah. Um, I remember the day he died, I was staying at my sister's place. I'd flown up to uh, Brisbane, where she was living there near the city, at Red Hill there. And I remember it was on, it was the same day Fred Hollows died. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's not obviously 1975, mm. no, but no, it was, uh, yeah, I get tripped, yeah, in the 80s, yeah. So, Okay. Yeah. It is time for Where Are They Now? Right, so we're up to our next segment, Where Are They Now? And boy, have we got a ripper today. He's <laughs> Mr. Jeff Thompson, or Tomo, as he's known. Yeah, so he's considered by many in the sport of cricket to be the fastest bowler ever in the history of the game. He was the fast bowling partner of the great Dennis Lilly. Thompson. Mm, both spearheaded the Australian fast bowling attack in 1975. They considered the most fearsome bowlers in cricket history. Now Tomo, he had an unusual action, but it was highly effective. It was a highly effective slinging at delivery action. It was like throwing a javelin, wasn't it? Mm. The way he used to bowl. It was very side on. And it was timed. He was timed with a release speed of 160.45 kilometres an hour in the second test in Perth in 1975. But a lot of cricketers dispute that, you know, like Ian Chappell and Ashley Mallett, and they reckon he bowled close to 175. And this was consistently. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, West Indian batting legend Sir Vivian Richards rated Thompson as the fastest he had ever faced. So you think of all the fast bowlers that <laughs> Sir Vivian Richards faced in his career. Yeah. <laughs> and these are like some of the all-time greats of the game, including all those West Indian greats. Yeah. And he said Tom Hutt was by far the quickest. Yeah. And I'll tell you another story. I went to a, um, an opening night one year uh, I think I've mentioned it in one of the other episodes. Yeah, Greg Chappell was a guest speaker. It was this big new gymnasium that opened at Blue Mountains Grammar School. Yeah, my parents gave me a ticket to it, you know, so it's a birthday present. Oh, yeah. So, yes, Greg Chappell was speaking. That's, that was a reason, mainly, that Tommy moved from New South Wales to Queensland. Yeah. Because Greg Chappell didn't want to face him ever again. <laughs> 
Yeah, he was just, oh. Yes. Just I, I remember at that time, as a kid yes. playing uh, cricket, backyard cricket, we had a huge uh, lawn at the back of our place. Yeah. Uh, as a kid, and um, or even at school. I mean, mm. I, was, I was still just started school and stuff, and we would be playing cricket, and it would be, um, you know, who, you know, who's a better? It was the thing across the schoolyard was who was a better bowler. Yeah. And um, you know, and you'd come up and you do your, as a child does the self commentary of, uh, you know, and he comes up and the great Dennis Lilly, or he comes up and it's the great Tomo. Yeah. Mm. And uh, it was it was that uh, the name should be heard across the schoolyard. Yeah. 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 So he created controversy during a television interview before the the test in 19, well this was before the English test, because he'd only played, I think, one test. And, like, he, the English didn't know much about him. This yeah. was the 74-75 series. And, you know, he, he would say, oh, I enjoy hitting a batsman more than getting him out. I like to see blood on the pitch. And in the second innings of the match, um, he bowled Australia to victory with a spell of Six for forty-six. Wow. Yeah. Now, have you ever seen? Um, I've seen um, that delivery bowled to Tony Gregg. Yeah, Sandshoe Crusher. Bowled it right at his feet. At about one hundred and seventy clicks, clean bowling for a duck. After Gregg got a, a century in the first innings. Yeah. Tony Gregg wouldn't have oh, liked, yeah. wouldn't have liked that. Yeah. No. Oh, well, at Perth. In the next test, he injured several batsmen and finished off, to, off the game with five for 93 in the second innings as Australia recorded another victory. So if you, if you go to YouTube, you look up Jeff Thompson bowling to David Lloyd, you know Bumbles? He's a real character of English cricket. And he gets him right in the Jets cracker. Yeah. And the protectors back then, they go on the crotch they were like, they were as good as useless. Like, they look like things that you put your soap in, you know. Yeah. 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 Oh, he went down. He reckons, David Lloyd reckons, you know, we didn't need a doctor that day, we needed a welder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's just gone down. But he didn't play much cricket after that. Yeah. That's pretty much the end of his test career, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but during that series, the 74-75 Ashes series, the Sydney newspaper, the Sunday Telegraph, ran a photo of Lillian Thompson with a cartoon caption underneath that read, Ashes to Ashes, Dust to Dust. If Thompson don't get ya, Lily must. <laughs> and he just scared the hell out of Batsman. Yeah, so there was one story um, Ian Chappell was saying in that was in the test in Perth, Thompson's Bowl, and so he used to get this massive lift, so that when the ball would hit the pitch, it would take off like a Boeing 747, you know, they take off when they're going up. Yeah. The ball's gone over the batsman's head, over Rod Marsh's head, he, he had no chance of taking it, and the ball was pretty much landed on the sight screen, on yeah. the ball. So you think how far back that is. Yeah. And yeah, apparently, you know, like all the Aussie guys and the slips were loving it. Mm. But like the Pommy batsman, what he worst thing he did was turn around and see where that ball landed, and just the the, <laughs> the, yeah, the blood drained from his face. Oh my god! Apparently, yeah. 
but yeah, apparently a lot of batsmen weren't happy about being out there. Well, I suppose it would have been, uh, you know, the, uh, the Aussies getting back the body line, really, when you think about I it. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what was it, about 30 years later from mm. the body line series? So yeah. It would have been it would have been the Colonials getting that one back on the old ponds, eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah but, uh, you know, these are the days they didn't have helmets then. Helmets didn't come in until a couple of years later. Yeah, no, they're still in the baggy greens yeah. and the baggy blues. English. But the interesting thing is that before helmets came in, not many players used to get hit in the head, you know. Yeah. Because they were forced to watch the ball more. You know? mm. Where helmets came in and sort of, you know, sort of took that skill away a bit, I yeah. guess. Yeah. yeah. It didn't make them so alert to the ball. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But if you look at the early designs of those cricket helmets during the World Series cricket, yeah. that's, that's when it first came in. Yeah, yeah they were like, <laughs> like motorcycle helmets. Yeah, just a bit of Oh, it was like comedy. There. Like there's one bit where um, there were all these run-outs in World Series cricket because they couldn't hear, you know, through the helmets. Yeah. And some of them look like, you know, helmets that you get from... Uh, Gridiron. Yeah, and horses and you know, horse riding and yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so Tom Tomo adopted a simple approach. He had a short run up and was very strong and flexible. He once described his bowling as I just roll up and go wang. Although he regularly bowled the bouncer, it was his ability to make the ball rise rise sharply from a length that earned him many wickets. He struggled for wickets on the 1975 Tour of England on the slower wickets there. However, he claimed five wickets in the first test against England. All up, Tomo played 51 test matches and he played and he uh, got 200 wickets. Yeah. And Richie Benade said that he had the most marvellous bowling action he had ever seen. Marvellous. Now the thing is, a couple of years later, Tomo was playing for Australia, they were playing uh, Pakistan in a test match in Adelaide. Yeah, yeah, and he's gone to take a catch off his own bowling. And uh, yeah. another guy on the team called Alan Turner collided with him. Yeah. And Tomo badly injured his shoulder, you know, he needed pins put in and yeah. and apparently, yeah, that yeah, that um took away a lot of his pace mm. after that. He was never the same bowler, but he came back and played again for Australia. And uh, but just, yeah, yeah, wasn't bowling, but you know, the ex real express pace that he was before. Okay, so what Jeff Thompson's doing now? So he's now 70 years of age. He retired in 1985. I know he used to do some advertising in WA when I was there. Oh, okay. He used to advertise yep. stuff on TV. I can't think what it was, but it was used to be um, mm. Jeff Thompson and um, Dennis Lilly used to advertise together. Oh, right. For a product. I can't think what it was, man. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, it was a bit of a hard to find information on him today yeah. about what he's doing. Uh, yeah, so he was a bowling coach for Queensland in the 1990s, and he nearly made a comeback at age 42, apparently. Because he was bowling to the Queensland Shield team and the Nets and they thought he was still good enough to play. Yeah. 
And what he talks about, too, famously, is bowling to the great Sir Donald Bradman in a backyard game of cricket at this luncheon one day. And uh, the Don, he gets this, he, you know, they try and encourage him to get up and play. And he goes, oh, he gets up and plays. And, and uh, this guy's um, backyard had a cricket pitch in it. Um, as, as you do. As yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> so Tom gets the uh, gets this bat, no protective equipment at all, and Tomo's thinking, oh, yeah, because this is when he was about 70 years of age or something, Bradman. Yeah. And, uh, oh, you know, better not bowl fast to him, you know, I don't want to hurt him. And, you know, Bradman's just smashing every ball along the ground. And there were these two, uh, oh, they would have been 18, 19 year old guys, fast bowlers. Yeah. And they're bowling off their long run at Bradman, and Bradman's just. Yeah, and Thompson just ended up standing there and just in amazement. He was just gobsmacked. Yeah. He just thought, wow, yeah. this guy is who he really, what everyone says, that, yeah. <laughs> that and even better. Oh, yeah. And apparently he just had, he didn't, he wasn't worried about getting hit because he just had so much confidence that he wasn't going to get hit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, just a freak. Yeah. A true sporting legend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so today, Tomo loves his fishing. Well, he has for years. And he made a very colourful speech when he was inducted into the Australi Australian Cricket Hall of Fame. <laughs> I'll put that on the, uh, the Facebook page. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, so this was at the Allen Border Medal Night in 2016. So he's done a lot of cricket commentary and he's not a fan of the way the game has gone with the bowling restrictions at, at, um, yeah, at the present time on how many bounces fast bowlers can bowl and fast bowling loads in training. He doesn't like that at all, you know, because you've got all these things, you know, now. They've got these rotation policies and, oh, they can only bowl no more than 40 balls at training and, yeah, but back then, you know, they used to bowl and bowl and bowl. That's where they used to get their fitness from. Yeah. And, and the, the muscle memory in their arms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, and apparently in 2020, just last year, he donated his most prized possession, his baggy green cricket cap, to a bushfire relief auction. Yeah. So that's the story of Jeff Thompson. Amazing, amazing cricketer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just glad we didn't have to face him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was on well, his side. Some of his training, like leading up to that 74-75 England um, series, yeah, he'd go chasing wild pigs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Out in the outback. Yeah. Apparently, oh. yeah, Clive Lloyd just said, I don't think, he didn't know his own strength. He was so strong. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk about some of the events of 1975 now, some other events. So yeah, I just remembered this last night, the Great Dismissal, where Australian Prime Minister Gough Whitlam was dis dismissed from office by Governor-General Sir John Kerr 
Let God save our Queen, because nothing will save the Governor General. That's right. What he, he used to call it, Kerr's Kerr, didn't he? Yeah, Kerr's Kerr, yeah. yeah. And, and the ironic part about that was that uh, Doc Whitman appointed Sir John Kerr. Did you realise that? Is that right? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he was a Labour, Kerr was a Labour stalwart, but um, really mm. he never uh, did uh, Sir John Kerr really have um, a great fondness, apparently, for Doc Whitman. Yeah. Um, and it was sort of, you know, one of those, you know, he's done his time in the, in the Parliament and all that sort of stuff. And uh, so, you know, he'll be the next Governor General. But um, yeah. yeah, and then prepare to go around and do that to him. Yeah, that's, that's why he, um, mm. that pisses when he got into the rest of the Yeah, because the Governor General represents the Queen. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I wonder how much, um, say, the Queen had behind it all. Uh, I can tell you that. Um, mm. The Queen. Um, was very reluctant uh, to send uh, the, the government of the day, especially in a colony uh, as we were, uh, and to have the interference that she would have to interject to be able to dismiss the, um, the, the Prime Minister of the day. And it was something yep. that she wrote about in her diaries and, and was very reluctant to do. Is that right? Absolutely. Jeez. Yeah. So, there you go. Yeah. I love my history. <laughs> well, you help me out there, John. I'll tell you that. Because yeah. I know bugger all about politics, really. Yeah. Well, but they, they were saying that it was because he couldn't secure us. Um, supply. The supply. Yeah. He what, didn't have enough uh, seats in the cabinet yeah. uh, to be able to secure a supply to, he, to get the budget passed through. Yeah, and he was late, and um, there was a deadline as to when he was uh, had to announce the next federal election. Is that? Correct. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, but what about actually happened behind the scenes is that the day before all this was to take place, um, he had summoned uh, Malcolm Fraser to the lodge, mm. uh, the um, uh, government lodge, and um, had uh, basically filled in uh, Fraser. Uh, this was what's going to take place. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So mm. it was sort of like a foregone conclusion. Just so, uh, and nobody had known that. Um, it was all kept very top secret and hush hush about uh, yeah. Fraser's visit to the lodge the day before, um, and uh, yeah, he was rolled. Yeah, so. and Malcolm Fraser, because he was the leader of the Liberal Party, he became Correct. prime minister for the next eight years. Yeah. Mm. So. Now, what what are your views, guys, on Australia becoming a republic? <laughs> Bring it on. Bring it on from yeah. Glenn. Yeah. Because even. There's a story being brought out with um, Prince Harry. Mm. He was saying, it was reported yesterday that he wanted to leave the royal family 15 years ago. Yeah. Because he's... Really? He thinks that something may happen like to him that happened similar to what happened to his mother. Yeah, so, I've heard that. So, he, yeah. yeah, they're not... Yeah. Mm. Well... With the funeral of the Duke of Edinburgh and stuff like that, um, it was actually brought up that the Duke was in favour of Australia becoming a republic. Really? Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, I think in terms of, you know, the, the, the royal uh, family isn't against Australia becoming uh, uh, its own, its own uh, well, uh, nation. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it has the cachet in the current. I think we'd still be a part of the Commonwealth. Yeah. Like, because like, um, I think, uh, yeah, it would still be part of the Commonwealth, um, 
but yeah, we just not have the Queen and country sort of tied together. So I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it it doesn't really matter um, yeah. which which way we go, whether we want to be a republic or not. Um, it's it's all uh, it's all taking focus off what's you know the the, the, the the hard facts about what's actually happening in the world today. Uh, yeah. It'd just be a distraction. So yeah. to me, yes, it'd be great if it was. Yes, it'd be great if it doesn't, if it stays the same. But uh, yeah, it's just a distraction. It doesn't really mm. need to be sorted out. It, it works. Yeah, we haven't any constitutional, uh, really constitutional problems so far. So, you know. Yeah, I, um, I, I like the, you know, what Canada have in place at the moment. You know, like they, I just want to change the flag. I just yeah. take the Union Jack. Oh, it? just rip it off because yeah. we, we, we've had nothing to do apart from going to Commonwealth Games every four years. Like, you know, all, everything now in Australia, it's to do with Asia and America. Yeah. You know, we we don't have much alliance yeah. to um, the British Empire now. Like I agree, maybe you know I'm happy to stay with the with the monarchy. Yeah. Just yeah, we need to get rid of the flag. Look what look what Canada did. The Maple Yeah, back in the seventies. Yeah. I think that was around nineteen seventy five. Yeah. They had a flag like ours. They replaced it with the maple leaf. Yeah. Whenever you see that flag now, you know it's the Canadian flag. Yeah. Where you go overseas, I've been to many countries overseas. They look at our flag. Oh, why are you England? Yeah. I love the uh, I love just the Australian um, uh, indigenous flag. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, like, I love that flag with just the um, uh, the Southern Cross over, overlaid over the top of it. Yeah, that's to give it so it lets you know where the country is yeah. Yeah. in reference to the uh, map reference and just keep it as the indigenous yeah. flag with some blue stars over the yeah. top. Yeah, I, I don't mind the Southern Cross, yeah. but I just think to me that would be a beautiful looking flag. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, give reference to where we are, and yeah. uh, you know, uh, recognise the indigenous culture that we, we are, which mm. is kind of what the maple leaf is all about. It's about the uh, indigenous uh, Inuit people um, had been using the uh, taking the sap from the maple trees long before the Western. Oh, started. okay. So that's kind yeah. of part of the representation of the maple leaf. Gee, yeah, it's interesting. Mm. Gee, you know your history, don't you, John? Yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed, mate. Yeah, gosh. Yeah, so the Vietnam War came to an end as the communist forces took uh, Saigon. Yep. Yep. And our, our boys came home and uh, weren't uh, weren't uh, lauded or anything like that. No. Uh, it was like they came home and they were criminals, mate. And um, exactly. I, I watched and grew up in the aftermath of all of that, and mm. uh, it was very, very sad. Um, yeah. A lot of guys suffered PSD and the Agent Orange oh, and stuff, yeah. which we soon learnt that, you know, 2,4-D, which we used to call it in um, Australia for uh, market gardeners and all that sort of stuff, of course. Uh, you know, they tried to tell us for years and years and years that it uh, wasn't uh, the problem. Um, and, uh, of course, all those guys, uh, poor guys, were sprayed with 2,4-D, you know, by B-52s and everything, and, um, you know, it just messed with their children's, uh, you know, reproduction. Mm. Uh, and, and you know we had all those different you know deformities and children and stuff for many many years after that. Yeah, and a lot of sadness from those sorts of wars. Yeah. And you know the, for um, America to first rep, uh, rep, recognise that what that uh, 
what that's uh, sprayed into the troops. Um, and then uh, once that opened in America, the floodgates opened here in Australia and leaving, uh, it was a recognised illness and, and uh, you know, the guys started to get some help. But it's, it's you know, we're, we're here again now with the PSD, PTSD from the guys in Afghanistan or us that yeah. fighting other people's wars, um, which we have nothing really to do with. And, um, you know, and we're left to pick up the, the tab for, um, the, you know, the poor, poor buggers that come back with all these illnesses. Mm. As you and I both know, work in the field yeah. uh, professionally and, um, you know, we see that, uh, you know, come through our door. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, it was all about the domino effect, wasn't it? But Absolutely. even after that war finished and it went for over 10 years, yeah. there was still no domino effect, wasn't there? <laughs> no. yeah, I think it was the only war America's lost, basically. Oh. They lost, I think, uh, Iraq and Iran as well, I think, so yeah. <laughs> they didn't really win those either. Yeah. Um, and Afghanistan, I mean, you know, mm. yeah. we like to pat ourselves in the back and keep ourselves safe at night to say that we've won those wars, but, mm. you know, really, nothing's really been resolved over there. Nah, nah, that's right. Well, even the First World War, you know, they just, they say the Allies won, but next thing you know, there's another one. It all stemmed from World War One. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, uh, that was the uh, armistice that was signed at Versailles. Um, Versailles, mm. and uh, you know, Adolf Hitler made the uh, guys come to Versailles to mm. um, to uh, do the treaties and stuff before he decided that no, he wasn't going to uphold all those, and, and that was a symbolic gesture because. Basically, after the First World War, um, they wanted Germany to pay all these war operations, which right. caused the Second World War That's because right. they had no money and they were, you know, starving mm. on the streets and they had no industry because the reparations that were being paid back to, um, you know, the Allies. And so, you know, really, was it, you know, uh, what what was Germany supposed to do? Um, okay, unfortunately, it came up in the in the, in the uh, it played into the people of the Nazis, the Nazi Party, which mm. wasn't a beautiful thing, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, history always only tells you the, you know, the story of the victors. It never tells you about That's the That's right. Yeah, I, I went to Versailles, actually, yeah, right. 1994. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful the train place. carriage in the park, yeah? Train carriage, yeah. Was that where they signed it? Yeah. Yeah, no, well, um, I don't remember saying that, but I remember walking through all these palaces there and yeah, just right. beautiful gardens. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, there's the, there's the original train carriage that's been kept um, from when the uh, where the first World War treaty was signed and the second mm. one, uh, the second one where Hitler got the um, the people, you know, that you know, to say that he was, you know, uh, I think it was Chamberlain at the time. Yeah. Um, came over and you know they signed a treaty, the pactual mm. treaty, to say you know that they weren't going to yeah. invade Poland. The next thing you know, he's pardoning Poland. Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah. Annexing, annexing, annexing mm. the Sudetenland. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, uh, Margaret Thatcher. She became the first woman elected to lead Britain's Conservative Party. Mm-hmm. So. The Iron Lady. The Iron Lady, yeah. That's right. So yeah. that would have been maybe just before she became Prime Minister. She uh, was there for a while, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So the son of a butcher, uh, the daughter of a butcher. Oh, really? She was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. Yes. Manufacturer, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Egypt reopened the Suez Canal after eight years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's been in the news lately, the Suez Canal. Remember with that boat that was blocking it? <laughs> 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 Whoops. 
And in film, there was Jaws. Uh-huh. One, oh, one flew over the cookies nest. Great film, one of the best oh, films ever made. Jack yeah, Nicholson and that yeah. big Indian guy. I can't think of his name. That's right. At the end, he throws a throws a seat through the window and starts walking off out the. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, Jack Nicholson. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's he's a genius, absolute legend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The towering inferno as well. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Jaws was. Uh, Oh, oh, I just remember that scene at the dun, end dun, where he's, dun, he's chomping up half his dun, boat. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, I went and saw the uh, Jaws exhibition at the Universal Theatre, the Super Studio. In, oh, uh, really? In Hollywood, it's still there. It's still yeah. there um, from that time, and uh, they've still got the draw, the, the actual the the shark that comes up and yeah. uh, chases after the boat guy and all yeah. that. It was really good. It was like wow. Yeah, and that was where it, that, that was still all the um, uh, the mechanical jaws that they used. When did you go there? I went back in uh, 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I went there years ago. I don't yeah. think it was there then. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I remember the back the Back to the Future and all that. You know that ride there. And, yeah. And Charlie Inferno was a great film. I remember. Yeah, I haven't that. seen that one. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I remember we used to have our school socials and stuff and. Um, uh, as we talked earlier, Captain's Meal was, you know, uh, which is a long forgotten, um, you know. Uh, yeah, I was just going to mention that song. Yeah, Captain and the Meal. Uh, what was the song? Love Will Keep Us Together. Love Will Keep Us Together, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, they were like the Rhinestone Cowboy. Uh, and Campbell. Campbell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was mm. off uh, the Midnight Cowboy film with Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. And his first roles, which made him a star after me and Mrs. Jones. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep. Fame by David Bowie. A lot yep. of great songs around that time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I remember, I was saying to you earlier about uh, totem tennis. I remember de- being down at a place called uh, Point Perrin in Western Australia and uh, waking, <laughs> waking up that Christmas morning down there. We were down there for Christmas with all my five, uh, sorry, s- uh, seven siblings. And waking up the next morning at Christmas, and every man and his dog were outside playing totem tennis. Yeah. And uh, original totem tennis had the um, uh, plywood bats. Oh, is that the one where um, you've got the spring on the top, and you, you hit the ball around, yeah, and it goes up yeah. and down? And yeah, you know, I remember whoever that. Whoever goes up to the top wins, yeah. or whoever goes down to the bottom wins. Yeah, we had that in the backyard. Yeah, so I remember yeah. that Christmas that totem tennis was the thing mm. for kids to have. Not like uh, having a video game or whatever. Yeah, you were out, you are swinging in the air, and, and I remember you'd hear the sound of the bat and ball, you know, right until after sunset. And clunk, the clunk. Bop, 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 you know, oh my God. And yeah. that, an argument over. Yeah, yeah, who won, and you know, it's whatever, or you're too powerful, or whatever, or, yeah, um, you know, yeah. the, the, the big adults would get there, and, you know, one was supposed to be hitting one way, and the other one was supposed to hit the other way to go either go up or down, and, you know, you used to get in there and, and hit it both ways, if you could get it going fast enough, and the other person couldn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all fair. Now, do you remember this? What show? What TV show was that? Uh, he had a bionic eye. Oh, the six million dollar yeah. man. The six of Steve oh, Austin. Oh, hide the doll. Yeah, we, oh. we can repair him. Yeah. yeah, faster, so, stronger. So if he cost six million dollars in 1975, 
How much would it cost now? <laughs> Six billion dollars? <laughs> uh, I remember I had a motorcycle accident a few years, quite a few years ago now. They spent, I think it was 275 grand on me. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, I felt like the bionic man. <laughs> it's held me together anyway. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that was great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did, 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 I'd love to have an ounce of his strength. Yeah. 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 But never did anything on his back. Can you remember that? It was like, and I, I remember going to school and the teachers would say, yeah, it's not really practical because his arm's so strong and everything, but his back, yeah. I mean, he had, you know, couldn't be able to sustain the weight. It was like, mm. yeah, okay, we don't want reality back then. We're children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you remember this show? Uh, that was an English show, uh, yeah. and it was like, mmm, Betty, the cat, that's right. a whoopsie on the car. <laughs> Frank Spencer, hmm. some mothers do have them, I've got the whole series of them. Uh, and then later on, Michael Crawford, of course, became the Phantom of the He Opera. did. Oh, what a genius. Yeah. Gee, apparently, he's a lovely guy. Yeah. And at the time that he was doing uh, Frank Spencer, he was living on a narrow goat in mm. on the uh, on the London Thames, on the Thames yeah. in London, um, and and stayed that way even when he became famous up in the, as a fan of the opera. Yeah. He had his narrow boat on the Thames. Yeah. That's just the greatest comedy of all time. Absolutely. Yeah. The British are the best at doing comedy. Like yeah. that scene where he goes to Australia House and. He goes to, and there's another one that show where um, the episode with the psychiatrist. Yeah. <laughs> he drives the psychiatrist crazy. I think the one, that, one of the ones I love is um, Betty's uh, cousin has that, um, you know, 21st century house. Yeah. With all the moving chairs and the curtains that open and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, they leave Frank, Frank and Betty there to, you know. You know, wait, uh, just you know, while he goes and makes him a drink or something like that, and he comes yeah. back and there's chairs moving back and forwards and uh. and whatever. And the other one that I love was the um, the episode uh, of the fixing the church roof. That's right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very very strange. Oh yeah. But apparently he he really enjoyed doing stunts. Yeah, he did yeah, all the same so stunts. So he loved yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, loved uh, doing it. Uh, and some of those stunts were just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but he was classically trained. He was a classically oh. trained singer, and that's why he got the other role. Yeah, yeah. and uh, who knew? Just that he a had genius, a beautiful voice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there was also Mash and Good Times. Remember Good Times? It's yeah. an African American uh, family. Uh, yeah, I only, where I grew up, I only had two channels. I had yeah. the ABC and. Um, uh, Channel 11. Yeah, there uh, weren't many shows in those days. No, no channels. Yeah, that's yeah, right. So in, in West Australia in a place called Geraldton and uh, yeah. all, we, all we had was those two channels, GW11, which mm. wasn't around in, uh, in 1975, um, but we had the ABC, so yeah, anything back then it was the ABC. Oh, okay. And our big thing on a Saturday night was to watch the VFL from yeah. Victoria. Um, my my dad, my mum would go down and buy fish and chips from the fish and chip store, and we would watch uh, Grandstand, AFL, uh, the VFL Grandstand. That's show. right. Yeah. And that was our that was our Sunday night. Or winners, winners, winners. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Winners. It was the other one with Drew Morford, and mm. uh, we used to sit there and watch all the things. And I'm just trying to think. Uh, um, I think North Melbourne beat Richmond that year. 
and that was the start. One of the one of the great. That's when um, uh, the great. Um, oh, what was his name? I know Louis the Lip did the uh, commentary, but Louis Richards. Yeah, Louis yeah. Lip. Um, but uh, he's still going now. The great. <coughs> Oh, Rex Hunt? No, yeah, no, no, no. But anyway, the coach was an extra, extra um, Melbourne footballer. Yeah. Uh, and he took them, um, and it was very famous because uh, that year he took the guys to the Premiership, and he um, he actually took the guys to, to learn ballet. Mm. Um, and to do ballet, the North Melbourne football players were all in tutus only ballet. Oh, nice. To, to, to learn how to, to be able to jump and leap and all that. So yeah. I'm trying to think of the the coach back then but yeah phenomenal, phenomenal well they do that with a lot of sporting teams now yeah. like now you know, yeah, league, he, like he, yoga and all he, that he was the first to do that and uh, i wish i could remember his name mm. and uh yeah it was it was a fantastic time um i used to go for the student bonus back then um because they used to draft out of our area up in the west australia mm. so where i was born um they they used to draft through east perth and um, the uh, players right yeah so the, They'd come from shin bonus. Shin bonus is what they used to be called. East Perth. No, no, no. North Melbourne was called North shin Melbourne. Bonus. Yeah, yeah, oh, really? North I never knew that. Bonus, yeah, yeah, because it was in the uh, around North Melbourne was around where all the meat packing and stuff was yeah. in Melbourne. That's how they got the name of shin bonus. Because I, I went for North Melbourne when I was a kid. Yeah. It wasn't until probably oh 86, 87, You know when the Swans started. Because yeah. they were Sydney South Swans, Melbourne, yeah, they moved right. to Sydney and they started winning games around, yeah. you know, with Warwick Capra Do- and... Dr. Jeffrey Edmondson. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I started following Sydney then. Yeah. But before that, I was a North Melbourne fan. Yeah. 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 So that was, that was there. Because they had the same colours as Everton. I love the blue and white. Yeah. But yeah. Barry Cable, the great Barry Cable, who played, was captain, was one of the last captain coaches mm. in uh, AFL, or in the VFL, was one of the last captain coaches to play. Yeah. Along with, um, the, uh, what, uh, I can't think of the guy that played for um, Richmond. He was one of the only other, him and uh, Barry Cable, the last coach captain in the play for the game. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, we're looking at sporting events now for 1975. So as I was talking about before, the Sydney Roosters, the Eastern Suburbs, they completely dominated the rugby league season, winning the minor premiership by 10 points. And they defeated St. George in the grand final, 38 to nil. Now these were the days where they were three point tries. So, you know, a five meter rule. And it was only like five nil at half time. So, I don't know what St. George had at half time. <laughs> like, you know, when they're in the dressing shed. Yeah. They must have had their drinks spiked or. Uh-huh. <laughs> they just got blown away in the second half. Yeah. Yeah, but the Eastern Suburbs side included great players like Arthur Beats and Ron Coote, John Bomb appeared. And the day is known as the Day of the White Boots. Unfortunately, the great Graham Langlands for St. George had the worst game of his career, wearing the white Adidas football boots, because he was sponsored by them, apparently. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's why he wore them, and Ken Irvine, who worked for Adidas, encouraged him to wear them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was a veteran of four premiership victories and 34 tests, and he retired early the following season, and... Yeah, I never knew this. His infamous white boots were last seen wrapped around a goalpost crossbar in Bradford, England. 
But apparently what happened, he um, he couldn't run in the second half. So there's some of his players are just running around him, you know, this, this absolute legend of the game. Because I think what had happened, I don't know whether this is true, but just from what I've heard, he had a painkilling injection that went went the wrong way, maybe at half time. Yeah, it went in the wrong nerve, and yeah, he just he just couldn't run. I was going to say I thought it might be the boots, but no. Yeah, <laughs> could have been. They might have been cursed. Yeah, too tight, too tight. Mm. And I think this might have been the year Parramatta made the semi-finals for the first time, and they played four games in seven days, and squeezed into the finals. Yeah, they they won um, two playoff games. Yeah, then they beat Canterbury in the first week of the finals. Just peculiar. It wouldn't happen today, you know, play four games in seven days. Gosh. Yeah, chop it out, go. Oh. <laughs> <coughs> Pardon me. Aussie John Newcomb, he defeated world number one Jimmy Connors to win the Australian Tennis Open. These are the days it was played at Kuyong on the grass. And Yvonne Gulagong Cawley won the women's title, defeating teenager. Martina Navratilova, 6-3, 6-2. remember watching that. That was another thing. Oh, yeah. We used to sit down at the... Yeah, so, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't say that I'm a very sporty person, as you know now, but I, I remember yeah. those times. I remember uh, I remember the Ewan Corley uh, match. I remember watching that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yep. You think how far she came, you know, from a small country town and far western New South Wales yeah, to... Just a, you know, and unbelievable. A great ambassador for Australia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you never hear of her these days, though. She's just... Only when the tennis comes around the Australian Open, they sort yeah. of drag, drag her out again and whatever. But she married an uh, American. That's right. And uh, had yeah. over there, so... Yeah, but she... Um, yeah, we mentioned the name, who, who she beat in that final. The great Martina Navratilova, who was only a teenager at the time. She went on to be arguably the the greatest female tennis player in history. As they, as they used to call her, handle me all over. Yeah. Yeah. Back then. Well, she must have got into the weights because I remember looking at, um, watching some highlights of her when she was a teenager, early in her career. Yeah. And she was just this petite, you know. Was she one of the first grunters? Was she, was she a grunter? Uh, no, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think she was. No. Yeah. But it was around that period that that started to come in. Mm, that's right. Only a few years after that, you started getting the grunters. Yeah. You know? oh. But all of a sudden, yeah. she was growing these muscly arms and... It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, she, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> but she was winning, you know, doubles championships into her 50s, I think. Yeah, unbelievable. Yes, yeah, so Australia regained the Ashes in cricket, defeating England at home, four tests to one, and then defeated England 1-0 to retain the Ashes in England. And later that year, Jeff Thompson destroyed the West Indies in Australia, with Australia winning five tests to one. And the West Indies won the first ever Cricket World Cup, which was held in England that year. And they defeated Australia by 17 runs, with Windies captain Clive Lloyd scoring 102. And brilliant fielding by Sir Vivian Richards. I think he got about four runouts and... Yeah, you got the crucial wicket of Ian Chappell in that match. And uh, if you ever see some highlights of that game right at the very end, yeah, um, Jeff Thompson and 
Dennis Lilly put on this partnership of about 40 odd runs over the last pair in. And uh, they needed, oh, you know, what, 30 runs, got 20 odd runs to win, you know, off the last ball. And uh, yet, yeah, all of a sudden, the crowd all started running onto Lords. And Tomo and Lily kept running up and down the pitch. <laughs> and, uh -huh. Yeah, Dickie Bird says to um, Tomo, yeah, that's the end of the match. And, Orbit, and then Tomo goes, oh, I've been running up and down this pitch for half an hour. <laughs> yeah, like the game was over and Tomo and Lily just keep running, you know, for about... Hoping they're going to be counted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, no, it wasn't to be. Yeah, so the great golden bear, Jack Nicholas, won his fourth Australian Open golf title. And the American top, Tom Watson, he defeated Aussie Jack Newton in a playoff of the British Open. Wow. You were talking about uh, Jack Newton in one of our earlier episodes. What, I think it was on the year uh, 1983. 1983, that was the year. Remember he uh, was getting on a helicopter? Aircraft. Was yeah, a, yeah, it was a, a, a twin engine. Yeah, sensor, that's right. Twin engine sensor yeah, and, and he walked into a propeller and got his arm taken off. But and he didn't stop him, did it? No, no, he yeah. kept playing golf and yep. yeah, played off a single handicap and yeah, amazing. And his uh, son became a famous rugby league player, and he's like head of the players' association. Yeah, he yeah, looks after the players in the NRL, you know, after all it looks after their, their rights and welfare, yep, that's right. Yeah, so Australia won the Rugby League World Cup that year and the World Netball Championship. Now was your uh, Artie, the coach then, Glenn, in 75? 75, um, no, she would have been still playing. Right, okay. For New South Wales. Yep. And then it was sort of into the 80s. That mm. she you know, took more into the coaching role than the 90s and became a selector. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, so North Melbourne won the VFL Grand Final that year, defeating Hawthorne, 122 yeah. to 67. Yep, I remember watching that. Yeah, and I haven't heard of this name off. Ron, Ron Brassel was a coach back then, I think. Was he? He was one of the first years that Ron had taken over. Oh, okay. Yeah, amazing. Amazing, amazing yeah. for them. Yep. Uh, Jenny Turrell, she was Australia's only gold medalist at the Swimming World Championship held in Colombia, where she won the 800 metres freestyle at only 15 years of age. Wow. So this would have been a real decline in Australian sport then, especially yeah. with swimming, you know, because the year after that went to Montreal, didn't win a single gold medal. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's the Olympics that were, uh, had the uh, Israelis. That was Munich. Oh, Yeah, so we did really well there. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, right. it was all yeah. downhill. Yeah. And that's why they built the Institute of Sport in Canberra. Yeah. Was it way back then, was it? Mm. Wow. Yep. Okay, Glenn, so what took place in the world of motorsport in 1975? Yeah, well, it was a totally different... <coughs> Era to what it is now because you know, about the racing cars back then they were basically stock standard from off the 
off the showroom floor. There wasn't really much um, changes to what they are now. You know, the old Holden Fords that, that raced around the Bathurst with Peter Brockley, King of the Mountain, taking out. Mm. What, but, was that, what was he in the LC Trina back then? The Corona. To Trina? Trina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. LC and LJ tries. Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, LH. Yeah. Oh, the start of the LH. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, the box trying. And the um, Ford Escort, which a good mate of mine, that was his first car. And, oh, I remember those cars. And, yeah. and I think I spent every weekend that he had it, helping him repair some dental or something. So it went wrong with it that he ran into. Yeah, but there was um, the Japanese driver came over for Bathurst that year, and also a, a Frenchman, Marie Claude Beaumont. Okay. Driving an Alfa Romeo 2000 GT. Yeah, but main all Australian races, drivers, and you know, like I said before. The began this podcast with my father, you know, during that time doing Broken the Speedboat Records and that, which I will get more information and put them up down the track on the Facebook page. Mm. Yeah. Cool. No, but there was a yeah, big, big, um... Well, Bathurst was the biggest one, really. You know, I don't really remember many of the other tracks. Apparently, we had a track out Surface Paradise. Oh, I did. That we? they had around with the with the V8. Gee. So I think that track's gone, but there's still the um, the association yeah. talking about it. Mm. Yeah. Right. But what was it like over in Western Australia um, with motorsport? Yeah. Oh, uh, would have been. Uh, I I probably wasn't that far in. I, I remember watching Bathurst back then. Yeah. Uh, that used to hold a bit of interest for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think more of the cars, the styling of the cars. Um, so I can't remember directly 1975, I remember 77, yeah. um, but apparently 75 I was just looking up was the birth of the Sandman panel van, the, oh, H, yeah. the HJ Sandman panel van, yeah. um, so that was, a, that was a huge, huge thing, um, yeah, so I remember them starting to come around and my brother being a surfer, he had yeah. aspirations on one of those. Um, and the, the, the big uh, Ford LTDs and all that sort of stuff. Um, the big American looking type ones started to come out around that sort of time. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the flick up headlights and all that sort of stuff. Motor racing, um, I remember, actually I do remember something. They used to do street racing uh, in, our, uh, in the town, um, which I later on uh, joined into as I grew older. I did street racing on motorbikes. Um, and they used to have that at Easter times or whatever, and that was an in industrial state. Right. We used to come from all over Australia for that. Um, for uh, that, I remember going down and watching that. I think it's my first sort of um, falling in love with motorsport back then. Yeah, um, and, and you know the whole 
cars going around. And unlike it is today, you know, you can't go and buy what you see on the on the on the racetrack um, straight off the showroom floor. You know, whereas you know, the old saying in Australia was, race on Sunday, buy on uh, Monday. Yeah. You know, win on win on Sunday, buy on Monday. Um, we that was that was the era, 1975. It was fantastic. Um, the style of the cars, you know, GTS, Monaros and stuff, and still flipping around and, and okay. all that sort of stuff. It was great. Uh, mm-hmm. it, um, it was the, uh, the first coupe, um, the Ford coupes started coming out back then. Um, so that was pretty pretty amazing to watch. Um, the XA Falcon GTs and all that sort of uh, were starting to race around that time of the year as well. So that was pretty exciting, you know, the big, the big Tudor coupes. Uh, which was a match up to the um, HKs and Js and uh, HX and all that sort of stuff, coops. So it was all that sort of era. Oh, great. Yeah, so yeah. all that sort of stuff started to race. Yeah. Speedway was a big thing in the town where we were. Um, you know, the old mud truck track down there, you'd see the, the. I remember going out and watching Speedway as a young young bloke. And that was pretty exciting. We used to do that on a Friday night. Yeah, so. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. That was my introduction to them, but it was, I was only still young and it was hard for me to get around. I had to get a lift if I wanted to go anywhere with that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. And minis were being raced as well, I think. I still oh, the watch. Mini, yeah. And the minis were still still very much uh, the poor man's race car, and, and uh, a lot of people buy those and race them out in the speedway and lots of stuff. You see, they have a full, a full group of just all minis racing and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Good times. Yeah, certainly different, different to now. Yeah, we used to have what was around, like like to go in a decent race. Now you'd need a big backing and yeah, it'd be bucks to um to do it. But it, it, but even down at um Eastern Creek, they have one one. I think it's to say they have once a month. They have amateurs that they can go and do drag racing in their cars with that. Yeah. But what, what, what's happened with Eastern Creek? Is it still there? Motorplex, yeah. Yeah. Because they, they built it, but I remember when they built it and it opened and yeah, but uh, well, you know, has it had much use? I don't think it has much oh, over the years, it, it? It has checkered history of mm. you know, having races and losing them. But, but it was really to replace um, Philip Island. Right. For the, um, the, the, the motorbikes and even the cars. It was supposed to be, yeah, use, utilise a lot more than it has been. Yeah. But I think the, the biggest thing out there at the moment is the... Um, oh, the airport. And the, 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 the drag racing. Yeah. Like the top fuel right top your rails running in that. Yeah. yeah that's that's yeah. like in Melbourne with the um, speed domes, the right. speedway thing out past uh, on the way to Calamone. Uh, mm. yeah, I, I don't know, was that around 75 as well then or not? No, that would have been in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. yeah Thunderdome, yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Rightio, so we're up to our next segment. Yeah. Oh, sorry Glenn, you Anything else yeah, with motorsport? Yeah, no, that's, you know, being going out to Oran Park with 
watching Stan Bowers going mm. up, especially with the um, the club meets. The one a part of the the state championships, but they just where people got to race yeah. against some of some of them would race against the same class, some would race still go in the race even though they're, they're in a different class. Yeah. They race at Iron Park today, the V eights, don't they? It's on the calendar. Yeah. 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 No, but you know that with Iron Park, Amaru Park, places like that. Yeah. Going to. Yeah, but that's all I remember at this moment. Mm. So now it's now to reveal this week's Who Am I? Okay, so we're gonna have the answer to the Who Am I segment now. Miss Olivia's back. Alright, so we kind of had like I kind of left you off with a pretty sad note that the guy died, but you probably want to know who it is. So it is Arthur Ash. That's right, Arthur Ash. Yeah. I didn't realise he won three um, Grand Slams. I, I know that he won uh, Wimbledon. Mm. Yeah, I didn't realise he'd won an Australian and um, an American title as well. Mm. Yeah. Careful giant. He was a big man, too, for playing tennis as well, mm. even, even by these state standards. He's a very tall man to play. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, today, you know, you, you're lucky if you see any players under six foot. Now they're like six, 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 seven, and it's just power, isn't it? Yeah. In, no, but in, his, in his day, he was a big man. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. So if you have a look, I think there's some famous pictures of Nuke and all that sort of stuff, and he's yeah. in shoulders over it. So. I do remember seeing one photo of him in a book once, and would have been that Wimbledon final that he won. And he's there, you know, at the end of the game and sitting in his chair. And it must have been like a real crucial part of the match. And he's there like meditating, <laughs> like in the middle of a, you know, the men's singles final at um, Wimbledon. Yeah. Yeah. Just closing his eyes and visualising, you know. Yeah. Okay, so we're up to the draw now. Here we go. I, I broke the machine a few weeks ago, the time machine. John's side. <laughs> We're going to find out what the year is for next week. Thanks, Paul. I have picked the next podcast episode which will cover the sport of year 1973. 1973. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't remember a thing. Oh, well, you, you'll certainly find out. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's alright. We've got some research to do, mate. Yeah. 1973. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll look forward to that. Yeah. yeah, we'll have a lot to talk about. Although we're only spring chickens at the time, we'll. Yeah. It's still within the 50 years. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, if yeah. it's in that 50 years, it counts. Yeah. Okay, so thanks for joining us today. So it's a goodbye from Paul. Yeah. Goodbye from Glenn. And a goodbye from John. And it's a goodbye from me. Bye. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paul's Sporting Memories. Please check out our Facebook page for posts on Paul's Sporting Memories. Thanks to Gold Studio Productions for producing Paul's Sporting Memories. Please check out Gold Studio Productions on Facebook. Until next time, have a great sporting week.